Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Lisa Cairns. And uh, Lisa lives in Australia, or at least has for the last four years, although she's about to uh, wend her way to the UK via Asia in time to get there for summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lisa, I've done my homework on you, Lisa. I've, I've listened to six or seven hours of your talks over the last uh, week or so. Um, and I really enjoyed it. it. It wasn't a chore by any means. Um, and of all the things you said, a lot of things. I mean, as you spoke, I kept thinking, oh, I, could, I would have asked her this, or I would have asked her that. But um, there's one thing that really jumped out at me a few times, and that is that you said several times, I'm offering a description, not a prescription. And the reason that really jumped out at me is I must have said that 50 times during these interviews. Uh, and the reason I say it so often is that I s very often hear uh, satsang teachers and so on doing just that, offering a description as a prescription. Even though they may say it's not a prescription, they're not offering anything else. And, and they're just sort of giving a description of their own experience and people are sitting there listening to that and it's, it's sort of like a guy standing on a mountaintop shouting down to you know people down below what the view is like <laughs> um, and I, you know I think some people f can for some people that can be a, a trigger or an, imp uh, an impetus to actually awaken but for many people it's not adequate so what yeah. do you think about that um, it's not adequate to um just um, what do you mean by it's not adequate? Well, it's like, like just uh, listening to somebody's description. Uh, yeah. They f they think they they say okay, sounds great, but uh, you know I'm not getting it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something is not clicking here. Yeah. Um, and you know, and people get very frustrated. I hear this from people. They get yeah. frustrated just listening to these descriptions, or, or yeah. perhaps even mistaking them as prescriptions. Yeah. And I see life as so impersonal now, and mm -hmm. even with liberation, it's whether or not they're awakened is completely God's will. Mm -hmm. then, um, I don't know how you like to say it, whether it's God's will or it's life will. It's not even anybody's will. It's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And I don't even see life really in terms of cause and effect anymore. However, I know that when you're in the story and when you perceive yourself in time and space, mm -hmm. then you do feel frustrated and you do feel like you want a way to awaken or you want things to do. I don't see anything wrong with that either. I went to many a teacher, like love Adyashanti Muji and lots of different teachers appear to give description, but life is always a description. Life is always, is never really cause and effect. It appears that way when you believe you're a separate individual doing life, creating life, making life. But then when you when that begins to fall away you see that life is just happening spontaneously and from the way it's seen now happiness is falling out of believing in time and space and cause and effect and it's not living in the opposite of believing or there is no time and space or cause and effect it's just really just this it's like teachers when I first started teachers would say you've got to be in the moment and it's not being in the moment you just become the moment and it's like everything else becomes irrelevant so when i'm talking if you're perceiving from doership then you're um and from a doer then you're going to see what i say as prescription you're never going to see it as description you're going to see it as prescription because that's the way your mind's working you're believing in time and space and it's not even you it's just the way that's written at the moment is for 
there to be a belief that's a separate self that can do, create, and make life. About a week ago, before I started listening to all of your recordings, I read an article that I found really resonated with me. And I'd like to um, try to summarize what it contained and get your take on it. And it might even provide a framework for everything we discuss. Um, and please bear with me because I, 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 it'll take me a, a couple of minutes to lay this out. Uh, and I apologize to those who send me nasty emails telling me that I talk too much uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to talk a bit right now. Um, so, and you're absolutely right. I talk too much. But <laughs> on the other hand, I talk just the right amount. And yeah. on, on the other hand, I don't talk at all. And, and that actually leads me into what this article contained, which is that life is structured in layers uh, or levels, we could say. And, you know, we can hear examples from science, for instance, physics. We have the Newtonian level of physics. We have the quantum mechanical level of physics. And the two are completely dissimilar. And the laws of one do not apply to the, law, to the, um, to the realm of the other. Uh, but both actually are simultaneously true. And with regard to our life, our experience of life, there is a level on which effects causes have effects and there's good and bad and you know you uh, might be passionately concerned about um, animal rights or ending child prostitution or you know there's all sorts of things that one uh, that we don't just dismiss as illusion uh, or God's will if, if we are at all sensitive though they they're things which need to be attended to and but then simultaneously there's a level on which it's all God's will you know, it's like uh, everything is perfect. Everything is divinely ordained and orchestrated. And then yet again, there's another level. And maybe we'll call these levels three, two, one. There's another level on which nothing ever happened. There is no creation. There are no, you know, animals or prostitutes or anything else. It's all just being. Uh, and the point of, of this is that all these things are simultaneously true, although paradoxically dissimilar. And you can't apply the, the the rules of one to the other, and not, no no one of the three negates any of the others. Uh, and a really comprehensive sort of realization, as I am coming to see it, incorporates all three simultaneously, and, and one can operate on all levels and incorporate the paradoxes quite comfortably. So, when you say so, anyway, that's my wrap, and it came out a little bit shorter than I imagine so <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful for that <laughs> what do you think um uh that kind of whether or not there are different levels or any that of that kind of thinking that's fair enough there's different levels different ways to operate mm -hmm. but if we're just talking about happiness mm -hmm. and peace of mind mm -hmm. then the need there needs to be a cutting off of all the kind of like um, the going out the mind does. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a cutting like to, it's not that I live in non-doership or I live in no self. I don't live in anything. I just live as this. Mm -hmm. It's not like I have belief systems anymore. And so before, when I used to suffer, I used to believe I was a separate self doing right. something. And so it's not about getting to a new belief of not becoming or not being a doer of not believe of not doing good things or bad things. That's all irrelevant. It's cutting all the other ideas that are there, living without any ideas. So all the concepts that I put forward, it's none of them are true actually. None of them are true. 
it's just about picking out all the old concepts like it's not I don't live in any concepts now so even if you said like like even if you asked me really personal questions of like, and really quickly it, it's best to do it quickly of are you a self or no self is the good or bad or any of that mm-hmm. it's like I don't know I don't know any of it I just am this mm-hmm. and it's about seeing what actually creates suffering and from the way I was taught and the way that I see it is suffering is believing you're a separate self that can do and create life and needs to um, get pleasure and avoid pain and as long as that dynamics in plane there will be immense suffering mm-hmm. and so what happened here was there was I could never have done this the separate self could never have done this so there was a process in apparent time and space in the apparent story of a cutting of all these ideas and it happened first of all intellectually and then experientially in my life like in my life um, I was, th- there were things seen here that cut off all the intellectual concepts and then I was just left just living just being just very immediate without a second and it's like, like the, the ideas of good or bad I don't need there's no judgment of situations anymore it just is however there's a preference of nice people were rather to than psychopath, psychopaths but I don't even really think about it anymore there's not so it's not about coming to a new way of of intellectually looking at the world it's about cutting off all those attachments to the intellectual way of living or living through a second or an ego or mind or whatever you call it mm-hmm. so now I don't even know I don't like I feel like I'm absolutely in awe and wonder of the world now I have no answers. However, now, <laughs> teachings seems to come out of this mouth, and I seem to speak, but it's very new. I've only been doing it six months, even less than that, maybe. See, so, I, would, I would say yes to it all. I would say you do have answers, but you don't have answers. Both are true. Uh, you do have opinions and preferences, yeah. but you don't have opinions and preferences. It all depends on what level you're talking about. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're an animal lover, I'm sure you have very strong opinions about animal cruelty, people who torture animals or use them for horrible experimentations and things like that. On some level, that concerns you. If you, went, if you walked into an animal lab and saw that going on, the Lisa character would probably freak out. Um, you wouldn't be able to stand it. But on another level, you would probably not be perturbed. Um, you, there would be nothing, you know, there would be sort yeah. of a, an impersonality yeah. quality to it at the same time that there was the personal concern. And, and only if I was physically shown it now, I think. Yeah. Like, like if it was physically, if somebody was physically, um, if there was physical like seeing of animal cruelty, there sure. would be the best to. I don't know if there would be um, thinking about it the rest of the time. Like right. Then, In other words, you would carry it around with you for weeks, maybe. But, yeah, I wouldn't. But you I, would probably. I think about it by my, like I wouldn't even, it, the concept, I don't think, all the thoughts wouldn't pop into my head the rest of the time. Oh, there's a spider on my foot. Off, oh, spider. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife just told me to come in the door. And she, my wife just came in the door and told me to cool it. She says I'm getting too animated. <laughs> but um, Cool it. <laughs> okay, so we'll come back to this. So you, you said yeah, yeah. you went through a process and you saw a number of teachers, Adi Shanti and... Apparent process, process, okay, yeah. um, and and granted, I mean, all, all I'm talking about here in terms of level three and level two and all that, those are apparent. Ultimately, they're not true. 
ultimately it's all one. I mean, if it's if if it's if oneness is is if non-duality is the ultimate reality of things, then there can't be any duality. Uh, there aren't any trees or horses or people or anything else. It, it, it's all just oneness. And physics helps us with that. I mean, you boil anything down to its essentials in, in terms of physics, and you end up with just, you know, the vacuum state or unified field or, you know, super strings or something. Uh, so it's a world of appearances. So I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah. Okay. So your process. You, I heard you refer to your teacher a number of times in your audios, like you were having tea with your teacher and all that. Who was your teacher? Um, his name's Roger Castillo. He's uh, not. He's not famous. No, no. He was um, Ramesh Balsaka's um, student. Okay, like Wayne Lickerman also. He, he Sorry, was, like, uh, Wayne yeah, Lickerman yeah, was also. Yeah, a student. Wayne Lickerman. Yeah, Roger was quite. Well, knew Wayne or was good friends with Wayne. I met him uh -huh. a few times, but I knew Ramesh and Roger better. Mm -hmm. Is he in the in Australia? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I came out to Australia was to live with him. He was also my boyfriend as well. Oh, okay, good. And Ramesh, Ramesh passed me off to him. It's quite a funny story. Ramesh said to me, "If you want peace of mind, you uh -huh. have to listen to Roger." And this oh, is when I just started dating Roger, and I was like, "That seems a little sexist, right?" Roger probably put him up to that. Yeah, uh, and he would do it in front of people. He would do it all the time, and I would just be like, like, yeah, I didn't know what to say. When huh. you're suddenly told that you're to listen to this new boyfriend, or yeah, yeah. So how did that work out? <laughs> well, um, I, we went. We we're in a relationship for three years. Mm -hmm. Say three years. We broke up about um, eight months ago, but it was more always. Um, he was. Uh, like a teacher role, I suppose, than yeah. a, a boyfriend. Because uh -huh. it's, it's hard to, yeah, it's, it's, in a way, it was hard for, to, for both of the boyfriend and the teacher to exist at the same time. So it was more always the teacher. Mm, yeah. Was he a lot older than you? No. Oh. Seven, okay. seven years. Huh. For some reason, I think of Ramesh Belsakar as having died a long time ago, and someone as young as you couldn't have hung around him that long, but maybe he died recently, I don't know. He only died um, two years ago, I think. Oh, okay. okay. Two. So it's like he, yeah, yeah, I was being with Roger for like a year when he died, Yeah. and then I met um, Ramesh a year before I met Roger. Mm -hmm. And um, you should probably get to tell me it's sort of irrelevant and it's just a story and all that, but I mean... Did you spend a long time as a, a spiritual seeker? Was there was this, was there a whole series of, you know, yeah? So tell us. Would you mind just talking about that a little bit? No, not at all. Okay. Um, uh, so I started off in Buddhism, uh -huh. um, but was always attracted to Advaita and Buddhism. I don't know. I'd never been into spirituality before that, but I'd always had this urge to understand suffering. It had always been such a strong, like I'd become a vegetarian when I was eight years old, I was an activist, and it was such a um, strong pull to understand what was going on. And then when I was about 20, I um, got involved with a Buddhist group called the Foundation of the Western Buddhist Order, but I've heard they've changed their name now, I'm not sure what they've changed it to. And I was, as soon as I went, the very first time I, was, went, I went, I got involved, I became a hardcore Buddhist for five years. A lot of meditation um, and a um, lot of retreats, and kind of gave up 
a lot of my social life, a lot of friends, and yeah, just um, dedicated my time to that. But then I met a teacher very quickly who was in the Buddhist group who um, gave me books on Eckhart Tolle mm-hmm. and Ajahn Shanti. Mm-hmm. And then in 2005, so I started the Buddhist group in most probably 2000, 2001. In 2005, I don't know how I ended up there, but I ended up at a Tony Parsons talk. Mm. And I walked in and like he, I found him so like irritating the first time. He was like, meditation's a waste of time. What a load of bollocks. It was so rude. Right. Yeah. And I was sat there in my Buddhist clothes with my Buddhist necklace on, like <laughs> screaming Buddhism. And I was like, oh, how could you say this? Within six months, the Buddhist stuff had completely gone. And I, I had a complete life change because mm-hmm. my whole life was Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I dropped it all and had no friends really. And like, my whole life complete change and um and then I hung around with Tony for a year a year and a half and then after a year and a half that's when I went and met Ramesh mm-hmm. and then met Roger and ended up over here so. yeah well that was a nice synopsis um <laughs> you know it's it, it's funny I have a friend here in town who uh She's been through a lot of different things, but she said, you know, I, I, I was supposed to interview Tony a couple of weeks ago and he, he had problems with his technical setup. We're still working on that. But uh, she said, you know, at a certain point, I would read Tony Parsons and tears would run down my cheeks and I would hold the book to my heart. It was just like perfect for me. A couple of years later, I couldn't even pick it up. It, uh, it was like it, it, it served its purpose for me and then I kind of yeah. moved on and, and it was no longer appropriate. Um, I kind of felt like what happened is that I, when I was with Tony, I had um, an awakening, mm-hmm. but then, um, or when I was um, going to his satsangs and reading his books, and then I kind of found that what he intellectually explained to me mm-hmm. um, over the next four years that I spent with Roger, living with Roger and Ramesh and going to India, it kind of acted its way into my life. Yeah. Like it showed up in my life so it's like first of all it was intellectually understood mm-hmm. and then it kind of showed me how that was in in life like it kind of yeah yeah I'm, I'm still reading his book all there is I'm about three quarters of the way through it and I'm really enjoying <laughs> it um, but he's I, hilarious I, yeah he's a character I mean I don't know, the book is excerpted from various talks, but every now and then he'll tell some dirty joke or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's hilarious to go to the actual meetings because, because I, I mean, you can see people getting crushed there because they've been so much into energies or meditating for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And then they meet him and he's like, and he's not, he, he completely jokes about it and goes, what a load of bollocks to someone. Someone goes, well, what about meditation? And he's kind of like taking the absolute opposite stance, but you can see this person just like, yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's sort of what I was alluding to. I don't mean to pick on Tony because I, I really find his book inspiring, and I think he's yeah. he's really serving a purpose. But it's sort of what I was alluding to in my levels talk, which yeah. is that what he's saying is absolutely true, but you can't apply you know, the principles of one level to other levels. So there is a level on which meditation makes a difference. Let's say you take 200 people and you have 
half of them meditate for 10 years regularly and you have the other half smoke methamphetamine for 10 years regularly. At the end of 10 years, half of group B will be dead uh, and will have aged 40 years and half of group A, not half, but a, a good percentage of group A will have you know, spiritually progressed. They may have, some may have had awakenings. They may have only aged five years. So relative things yeah. do, do have relative effects. That's um, the, the way that it's seen here is that the, the story always happens in apparent cause and effect. So if you train every day to be a swimmer, you're going to most more than likely end up to be a swimmer. Yeah. Not because the past action has an effect on the next action. It's because that the story works in cause and effect. Because if you separate it out and say that um, the cause and effect is true, then you're saying that... Um, that everything isn't one, that there is separation, and that separation can affect, like one thing can affect another. But it's not the cause and effect. This world is logical, and this world works in the, apparent, the appearance of cause and effect. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so if you feed a lot of um, a dog, if you overfeed a dog, the dog's going to become fat, more than likely, unless it has a super-duper metabolism. Mm -hmm. um, and the same with meditation more than likely after 10 years of meditation the the person that's been meditating is going to experience a more quieter mind not because of the meditation but because the world works in this apparent cause and effect but one action can never affect another action because then that's saying that the world is separate and that somebody can be separate and do something and make life and here what just for um, a happy mind if you believe that you're a separate self and that you can do and create life, then you can also screw up life. So as long as you believe that you're a separate self doing life, then you're believing in good and bad and that you can mess up life. And the majority of suffering comes down to, um, this is how Ramesh says it and Roger, my teacher, says it, and how it's been seen here through experience is that it comes down to guilt and blame. These are the two big sufferings. You did something wrong. How dare you hurt me? You're a bad person for doing that. And then guilt, I'm a bad person for do doing that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm going to uh, create really bad consequences. And it's believing that you're a separate entity that can do and create life. And as long as that belief's there, there'll be immense suffering. There's also, um, Ramesh and Roger also showed me that there's also other elements than blame and guilt, but they're the two main ones. There's expectation, worry, shame, pride. Um, and they're all based in opposites, believing that separate self can do and make life. And the majority of people that I come up against or um, come up against is in, argue this, and I enjoy discussing it with them, actually. I'm not sure if they the same opinion, but that <laughs> really get um, upset about this is they want to hold on more than most more times than not is they want to hold on to blame they want to hold on to good and bad being able to say that you did something to me and that you're a bad person for doing that you did something say to the you know you've, you're you're cruel to animals or they want to hold on to this dynamic because they believe that in making another person bad and blaming them that they can in some way protect themselves they, they can some way make themselves secure and as long as you believe in that dynamic that somebody's bad you're actually making yourself the victim and afraid and scared even though you believe in making the other person bad and being able to label them as black, bad you're making yourself safe it's an absolute 
lie. You're creating the victim and the perpetrator. But it's well, not you creating it. It's just the dynamic being created created like that. A lot of times it's, it's a matter of just, you know, isolated perspective, just uh, not uh, appreciating the other isolated perspective. For instance, in the United States, the Republicans think the Democrats are bad and the Democrats think the Republicans are bad. And, and there's a very great gulf in the political world these days between the two. It's very hard for the Congress to get anything done because nobody can agree on anything. Um, but... What I would what I, when I listen to you talk, and this was happening all week long, I would I'd find my I'm not one of these people who are going to get upset or disagree with you. In fact, I found myself completely agreeing with you, but at the same time, I I kept finding myself saying yes, but it's what you're saying is true, but there are other levels of consideration on which are also true, even though maybe paradoxically different. So, for instance, you said cause and effect. There are causes and effects. If if I drop this cup it hits the table. And there are all sorts of laws of Newtonian physics that describe that phenomenon. Um, that can't be denied. And yet, on other levels, it's not true. There is no cup. There is no table. You know, the Newtonian laws are completely transcended. So it's just kind of a matter of being flexible and, and recognizing, giving, you know, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, recognizing that each level has its own rules, laws, principles, and they all sort of, you can't sort of dismiss one because of being grounded in the other. It, it, one can become callous uh, or insensitive if, if, taken, if that's taken to extremes. Um, I, yeah. And when you talk about levels, like I, there is a, an acknowledgement, and this, I remember this being a great, realization here that there is apparent cause and effect that this story is always going to appear in that dynamic if you go around shouting at people it's more than likely you're going to have people shouting back at you yeah. if you put your hand in the fire you're going to burn your hand mm -hmm. but um but it's got to from here it's it's not even like i see it anymore as that perspective it's just that it's just so immediate I don't have that like um, that going into it. There is times, obviously, when you go catch a train or you, you've got to do things that that thinking comes about. But the majority of the time, I'm just so I'm doing life so mm -hmm. intimately, like life is happening, and I just don't. There's not a thinking of that dynamic, and I don't believe that you do need to be sensitive to others because, in a way, being sensitive to others or thinking about that is buying into their story. Like we're happy and whole and complete as we are. We don't need others to be sensitive or nice to us. So if someone's coming up with with that argument of wanting uh, wanting me to be more compassionate, or it's nothing to it's nothing at all to do with me. It's to do with the way they're seeing the world because I can now, um, and it wasn't like this at all before. I can have. Like, and I'm sure you, you get this too, like very firm, non-agreeing emails and really beautiful emails. And it's almost so indifferent. I mm -hmm. prefer the nicer emails, but it's yeah. so indifferent. It's just what it is. I just don't, it's just nothing ever in the flow of life now is seen as my happiness. So I don't even think about if I'm being sensitive to someone or not being sensitive or even 
like uh, like creating different levels or anything like that. I just do. I just the mouth opens and says. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I, I have no problem with that. And we could probably preface everything we say with the word apparent because <laughs> because everything that you know, as soon as I mean as soon as you open your mouth, you're in the field of duality. Uh, yeah. You know, there's me talking to you through this mechanism yeah. of Skype, and you're in Australia, and I'm in the United States, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but all that is just apparent, you yeah. know. I mean, we're, we're all sort of, you know, well, I can't even say we're all, because it's, there's just infinite closeness, infinite sort of co- correlation <laughs> on, yeah. on, on the, you know, in terms of life as its essence. Uh, but as soon as we begin to speak of any sort of manifest qualities or, or, or diversity or anything else, people and this and that, we're talking about something that's ultimately not real. It's only apparent, but, but it does have its rules and significance and so on. And um, the point I keep coming back to is that you, you kind of can't, well, as an animal lover, you won't like this metaphor, but you can't shoot the tiger of the dream state with the gun of the waking state uh, there are sort of <laughs> there are different um, you can't sort of juxtapose one level of uh, the, the principles and mechanics of one level of life to an entirely different level of life and, and the reason I keep hitting on that is that that's what so many teachers do that's what Tony Parsons is doing in my opinion um, he's kind of taking the principle that there is no one which is absolutely true, and then and then kind of concluding, okay, well, since there's no one, karma is a lot of bunk, reincarnation is a lot of bunk, because there's no one to receive karma or to do karma. There's no one to reincarnate. And on some level, that's true, but on another level, there there's a relative mm-hmm. structure, and and there is someone who reincarnates and who generates karma and receives it and so on. It's, it's all just a matter of, you know, where you want to take your stand. Yeah, but I don't even, the way that it's seen here now, is that life does its dance perfectly? Exactly. So I don't even I don't even worry about like um, whether in what way you need to communicate this because it will be communicated and it will be heard at exactly the right time. In this story, it appeared that I I had to you know have the lighter or not lighter it's not even lighter but the teachings of Buddhism first and Eckhart Tolle Ajisha, and it all built up and built yeah. up and built up until finally I lived with someone who was like. Um, completely not involved with the story so then it was so immediate but it's mm-hmm. it's like um like life will show you exactly what it needs to show you and it's and the, a lot of spiritual seekers that i speak with they're constantly asking me what to do and how to do it and it's and how to get liberated and that <laughs> is that is the suffering like that yeah. idea that you need to do it and get it right life will show you exactly what's meant to be happening it will mm-hmm. because it is happening it's yeah. like that thinking process how can i make liberation how can i do this how can i um get this is in the assumption that you've not got it you've not you're not it it's it is what's covering it mm-hmm. and life if that's what the destiny is of most people personally i think and it's only an opinion that everybody wakes up if not in this life, in death, they they wake up, and this is all a story of liberation. Mm-hmm. However, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know if like, I yeah. don't even think that much about it. Tony like, says that too. Like, and it's it's um, you don't 
like the very idea how can I make liberation is suffering, is separation but the seeker thinks that that idea is something that is good and will get them somewhere but it's actually not, it's what's covering it, it's what's it's that seeking dynamic, I need to get something it is the suffering I need to get somewhere, I need to do something can I understand I understand how that happens. I went through 10, ten years of um, a lot of suffering. But spiritual seeking is the great suffering for people. Can be. Can Not also, all the time, though. Can also be but a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, and I say that like Roger. He he read like for two years. He read spiritual books, and then it was over. Like he didn't really. He just fell asleep a lot for those two years. He'd sit on the sofa, read the book, fall asleep, wake up again, read books. Sounds good. And that, yeah, and that was it for two years. That was all. <laughs> if someone pays the bills, it's <laughs> fine with me. I'd do it. <laughs> so, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't have been very popular with uh, non-dual folks because he said, "Seek and ye shall find," and um, you know, so they would have shot him down. Now, in, in your own case, I would argue, uh, although you know, on some level. You're absolutely right. There is no cause and effect in in this stuff. But I would argue that all that stuff you did, you know, Buddhism and Eckhart Tolle and Adyashanti and Muji and everything you went through was actually instrumental in bringing you to a point where awakening could dawn. Um, it's the, there's an old Zen saying, uh, you know, enlightenment may be an accident, but spiritual practice makes you accident prone. Um, and it might seem absurd from the, from the point of view of awakening? I mean, from the point of view of the sun, hey, I'm always shining. I don't care what those clouds are doing. doesn't matter whether the clouds are cleared away or not. I shine, you know? But from, to stretch the metaphor a bit, from the, but from the point of the view of the other side of the clouds, it makes a big difference whether the clouds are cleared away or not. So there, is, there are things which one can actually do, even though ultimately there may be no one doing them, which are actually conducive to realization. Things which culture the nervous system, things which destroy the nervous system. And, uh, you know, that's not, it's not a popular way of talking in many non-dual circles, but that's the way I see it. Well, um, well it, in some it is, but um, I, uh, yeah, I just, the way that I see it is that as, as long as you believe that you can do something and that a past action is affecting mm -hmm. a next action then, then you're go in at the it. Suff then you're, you're in the seeking suffering mind and you mm -hmm. will be suffering whether it's true or not ultimately I have no ultimate truths it really is irrelevant to me whether there is the, all these different levels all I'm pointing out is as long as you believe in that dynamic mm -hmm. there will be suffering however and in Lisa's story it couldn't have been any other way yeah. In anybody's story, it couldn't be any other way. I went through this 10 years of this beautifully dramatic suffering and then great highs story, and it couldn't have been any differently. And it's the same with everyone else's story. And as, well, as, as long as you believe that it can be differently and that you've got it right or wrong, you're in suffering. And all I, look, all I see happening here is Lisa describing, or I am describing, um, describing uh, what suffering is and it might be seen if that's the destiny through this description or it might not be seen it's just dependent on whether that's written or not it's just written that but it's, it's so complicated like all these ideas 
like like um like they're just pointers they're just thorns removing thorns and uh, mm -hmm. if you believe in time and space and i'm a doer and i can create and make life and i can create my spiritual um journey and i can make myself awaken or anything like that you're into believing seeking and when the seeking energy there's this energy and this is all people don't want screw liberation or enlightenment all they don't want is this contraction and that contraction is core is is um appears with the dynamic of i can create make life i need to get pleasure and avoid pain and it creates this sense and so that's what's got to be removed that's what is removed in liberation it's just that seeking dynamic of that contraction and now when you stop believing in any idea screw all the spiritual ideas when all ideas are dropped and nobody could possibly do that nobody could possibly drop the ideas because the the ideas is the somebody is the second is the ego so as long as those ideas are in place there will be suffering and when they're dropped there's just an expansion and it's everything everything you ever wanted it's shocking mm -hmm. it's shocking the trick we're in the joke that we're in because because we're so convinced that happiness is out in this and that we've got to make our happiness so convinced and that's the dynamic that stops but nobody could ever stop that dynamic do you i mean for you rick do you believe that you could stop that dynamic for me, the word belief is not so relevant. Um, I don't dwell too much on beliefs or non-beliefs. For, for me, experience is more paramount, and experience is the foundation of whatever one believes. If 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 one's experience is that one is a bound, constricted, you know, suffering individual, then that's what one is going to believe. Yeah. And it's sort of a cart and horse situation. And if one if one's experience is that you know one is oceanic silence, uh, despite all the superficial turbulence of life, then one is going to believe that. Or you know, it's yeah. it's not a the word belief is sort of irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like. And of course, people arguing about what something that's beyond the, their actual experience, you know, as most religious people do and fight wars over it and so on. It's like, you know, people arguing over, you know, what's being served for dinner in the next room rather than and sitting there hungry rather than going in there and eating it, you know, and resolving the issue once and for all. Um, now, you mentioned thorn to remove a thorn, which, of course, is an ancient Indian saying, and all the great teachers have used that saying. And what they mean by it, to my understanding, is that, you know, there are methods which can remove the so-called thorn of ignorance, but those methods are in and of themselves also thorns, meaning they're, they're not ultimately real or true. Meditation, yeah. yoga, whatever you want to do, in a way, they have no ultimate reality, yeah. but they're, they're useful. They're instrumental in removing the thorn of ignorance, which is why great teachers like Ramana Maharshi and so on actually encourage people to do whatever practice or whatever was appropriate yeah. for them, would be it self-inquiry or whatever. And actually, I, it's not, it doesn't come up here for me to, to, to give anything to do, but I'm completely not against that because whatever right. is happening, if the, if the idea comes up to meditate or the attraction is to meditate, 
or the attraction is to go and sit in um, yoga positions or anything like that, then that is absolutely perfect. That's exactly yeah. as it's meant to be. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. Mm -hmm. But if you believe it's useful, if you believe it can be useful and other things can be unuseful, then you always stay in the dynamic of two. So it's doing these things with it, like, and you do these things. But if you believe, ah, oh, this is going to get me to liberation, blah blah, you're not going to get, you're, you're going to carry on suffering because you're in, whoop, you're in the the belief that you're doing something. So it's not that I'm saying don't do. Like mm -hmm. I, I spend hours, even now, um, but even in the past when I was at Roger's house, sitting, just sitting. I don't do any practice anymore, but at times there was breath. Um, meditation and uh, now I just sit and look at the world because when people ask why do I do that it's not why but I don't because there's not suffering happening anymore there's not an urge the urge to do something or try and make an experience doesn't come up anymore so that seeking of I need to make this better so the idea of a practice doesn't come up mm -hmm. anymore I just sit there and look at the world and that yeah. does not sense. So it's not that I'm saying don't do at all, because that is when you're in apparent separation. That is the thing. Like I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm not saying don't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm just pointing out that doership or seeking energy is suffering. I'm just pointing out what is suffering and what isn't suffering, and that's just what the dance of Lisa does is points out that dynamic. But in no, how how could you possibly not do? Like, or how could you possibly, like, something's always going to happen, even in lying on the sofa. Mm -hmm. we're, we're kind of, a, I'm reminded again of the description, prescription thing, you know, and I'm reminded of the Gita also, in which, on the one hand, there are all these verses which say, you know, the awakened or the realized person doesn't act at all. Even in sitting and walking and doing all this stuff, he realizes, I am not the doer, you know. Um, and, uh, and yet, at the very same time, Krishna is asking Arjuna to go out and fight a battle, you know, to do this dynamic thing. But he's, he's saying, you know, first establish yourself in the realization that you are not doing it, and then go do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, where was I going with that? The word belief. Um, I don't feel like there's any harm, and maybe I, you know, correct me if, if you feel I'm wrong, I don't feel like there's any harm in believing that certain activities have certain effects. If you eat certain foods, they'll nourish you. If you eat other foods or other things, they'll make you sick. So relative substances, for instance, can have, definitely have effects on the body. Take this pill, it does that. Take that pill, it does this. Um, and the same is true with spiritual practices. They have different effects. Many of them are measurable scientifically. Whether or not you can say they actually lead to realization I, I, I think I see your point there because realization is sort of beyond the realm of all relative phenomenon. So how can anything sort of step you into it? But it's like a boat, you know. I mean, the, there's a certain point at which the boat is uh, very useful. And, and uh, if you jump out prematurely, alligators will get you. But if you get to the edge of the river, it's time to get out, you yeah. know. And the boat... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, but the... But so the dynamic here, even when I'm sitting outside, and I go back to my experience all the time, because as you say, it's not about beliefs, it's about experience, mm -hmm. is that in happiness, there is 
no dynamic of I need to make this experience better. Right. If when you're seeking and when you're seeking spirituality, you're trying to make the experience better. You're, you're a separate individual trying to make life better. And it's not that what is happening is wrong because that's exactly what's meant to be happening. But if there is that belief there, any belief that what, what you're doing can make a better outcome, you're in suffering, you're in separation, you're in the self, you're in a separate self that believes they can do and create life here. But again, I don't live in concepts, but this is, is nearer to, um, to the experience here than other concepts, is that there's, there's no sense that somebody's doing or making life that will always create suffering. And so it has to be in time and a space too. It has to be with meditation, with eating certain foods, because it is to do with the body as well. Sure. Like it is, and it is something that's happening in the body. Like, um, like it's not to do with having certain emotions or having a still mind or, and this, this was shocking to me in the beginning was like, I'm not an intellectual. I, um, even when I was a child, like at school, I was very badly dyslexic and found it very hard um, uh, using the intellect. And it's not about intellectual understanding. It's, and it's shocking because up until a couple of years ago, I really believed it was in getting it. It was in some intellectual concept, understanding it. And it's not at all in intellectual understanding. It's the falling away of all those beliefs and ideas and the self that is creating that veil and creating that sense of contraction and separation. And it's crazy when it's seen because you I used to go to teachers and I used to really believe that if I could get them to say a certain thing and if I could understand it just a slightly differently, mm. I'd be free. And yeah. it was the same with meditation and sitting in silence. If I could get my mind still enough, if I could sit in that silent witness enough, and it really isn't anything to do with it. It's, it's craziness. Like there really isn't a self here doing something. And it's so crazy to the mind and to the doer. There is just absolute expansion and happiness when doership and the belief in time and space and good and bad and right and wrong and good effect and bad effect, when that felt falls away, there is just absolute in loveness or um, beingness and absolutely ecstatic to be alive. But any belief in time and space, whether or not time or space does happen or anything like that is absolutely irrelevant to me. It's just if that belief is there, there will be suffering. If hmm. that, and it's not even a belief, you're so right, it's an energetic contract, contract, uh, yeah. contract because belief or um, intellectual ideas like thought patterns they or thoughts, they can't hurt you or they don't create anything in themselves. What is uncomfortable is this. Right. That's the uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much is it that the, the, the belief causes the suffering. It's more like in the suffering state, concomitant with that are yeah. beliefs or interpretations of the way yeah. life is. It's char yeah. just characteristic of that state of yeah. functioning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's subtle because some, it sounds sometimes like, again, it sounds like, okay, I should drop my beliefs and then I'm not going to be suffering. Yeah. But, it, but it's, it's, not, it's not so volitional as that. And, yeah. um, and, it, and you're describing very beautifully a, a state of functioning or state of being in which all that has been 
let go. And even that sounds volitional, has been let go, sounds like yeah. somebody let it go and yeah. so on and so. But it, it, it's very hard to phrase it and it, yeah, to, yeah. to really do justice to the reality of the situation, yeah. you know. So I, I really, I, I may sound argumentative. I don't mean to. I'm not picking on you or anything. I, I, I really agree with you, I think, entirely. I'm just yeah. kind of probing and trying to, yeah, yeah. you know. And it's, I'm what, like, I was talking to my dad the other day. My parents are over from England staying. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the dogs. And he was saying something like, he was he was like imicking the dogs as if the dog was thinking something and doing something. Oh, she's, she's doing that now because she feels jealous. And, da -da. Mm -hmm. and I said, oh, I don't think the dog thinks. And he was like, of course the dog thinks. How does she do? And I was like, oh, I think the doing just happens without thinking. And he was like, don't be silly. Of course you have to think to be able to do. And, and, like, and, I, used to, and I remember believing that, that the thoughts, ha the thoughts um, created doing. But it's amazing that all of this is happening so effortlessly and spontaneously and without, like, you don't have to, you really don't have to think about anything. But thinking does happen and is, appears to be um, a tool, like, you know, you put your um, things in your diary and you plan to go on the train and thinking is a great tool. But you really don't need it. Life is happening so spontaneously mm -hmm. without that intellectual interpretation. And I tried to say to him, what, well, did you think that the urge came first and then the thought next? And the, but he was so convinced that it was all about um, thoughts and you have to think something for it to happen. Hmm. And it's just, and it's so shocking to the mind. It really is. In a way, it's, it's like the mind or, like, when I look back on this story, I always knew this in one way. And it's, and when, I, when this kind of, I call it stabilized, or when this kind of came the experience here, um, it was like all through my life I can remember knowing this. It was just not mm -hmm. seen, or it wasn't recognized, or it just, and it's so obvious to us, so obvious what I'm talking about. But when you're believe, when the energy or the belief is in the mind and in the thoughts, then it's so easily avoided. It's like the energy and the, the believing that you're a doer and that you're creating this and you're creating life and that you just did a bad action or a good action mm -hmm. or you're getting it right, you're doing the right amount of meditation a day. It really seems like that, really appears like that to the mind. But also, when I'm talking about this, can I remember it with teachers? I knew what they were talking about. I don't, like, there was a, such a strong knowing of what they were talking about. Yeah, I think everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people who listen to this stuff, it resonates because it's there, you know? There's yeah. a, there's an intuitive understanding because we're, you're really just elaborating yeah. or describing their own experience. Yeah. And perhaps, you know, there's some greater clarity which is enabling the description to come out with, you know, s some degree of coherence. and. Yeah, someone else might have trouble expressing it, but that I think in Tony Parsons' book, he he said, you know, clear seeing is speaking to clear seeing, but you know, on this side, the clear seeing might be occluded or or overshadowed by some confusion or something. But there's an energetic resonance that takes place, and hopefully, that energetic resonance will dissipate the occlusion, dissipate the cloudiness, and and then clear there'll be clear seeing on both both sides. 
yeah. I guess yeah. that pertains to what you were just saying. It's it's um, it's effective, I think. Well, we we kind of started out the whole interview talking about that. Is it really effective to hear somebody's description? Yeah. And I think it is for the reasons we've just discussed, which is that there that people already know this. And yeah. it's it's sort of like you're pointing to something that they're already experiencing and saying and, and it's like turning the spotlight on it whereas it, whereas it had been getting ignored, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that kind of uh enlivens it. Yeah. And I just have to go back to this point. It's like it's it's only like uh, I know and I know what you're talking about. I remember what Tony used to see about seeing nothing and being responded to by nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's only, um, it's not effective because somebody's doing something, it's just because that's how it's written. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's how life reads it, that you, like um, with me, living with my teacher for three years and living with Roger for three years, um, it appears that that was, that really diffused Lisa or really diffused a lot of what's happening here because every time I came up against wanting to blame him or something or wanting to drag him into a drama, that didn't happen. And it was like, freak out. Uh-huh. I, I need to blame you. I need to get you involved in why I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy because of you. Yeah. And so it appears that way, but not, not because there is time or space or not because it's relevant, but because that's how it's written. Because life loves the story of liberation, of waking up, and keeps writing it in loads of different ways, and keeps writing these big dramatic, like uh, like my waking up process was so dramatic, traveling across the world, being in India, then moving to Australia, and living in the forest, and cutting off all communication with people for three years, and mm-hmm. you know, being. But it's not because of that; it's because that's what was written, because yeah. that's the way it is. Not because of the life doing it like it's not because the separate self or somebody's doing something it's because that was the way the story of liberation was to happen in lisa Mm -hmm. or and it's to like the same with tony that nothing comes up against nothing and not because that's having an effect but because that's how i like saying god i like the word god but i don't mean an individual entity but sure what people know when i say god because of God's will. Yeah, yeah. I, I perhaps I, I'm very happy with the word God, and we can maybe yeah, even talk, talk about that a little bit. But um, well, just just to refer to Tony, and out of respect for him, I actually I really appreciate the guy. I, I had a lot a lot of trepidation about interviewing him for a long time because I kept hearing things from people. I mean, I mean, I even had one guy who got in touch with me and wanted to be interviewed the week after Tony because he said he hated him so much and he wanted to <laughs> re- rebut everything that he said. And I said, no, nah, I don't think so. But um, <laughs> but uh, another what, you reminded me of one of his phrases, which was that he says. Oneness loses itself so it can find itself. And it's like this game, or this leela, yeah. as they call it in the Vedas. Uh, yeah. There's this play. Um, yeah. I am one, may I become many, and then they get out into the field of many, and, oh, where did my oneness go? And I'll, but better, I better find it. <laughs> yeah. well, let's talk about God a little bit. Um, you, you keep talking about, um, you know, things happen this way or that because it was written or because it was meant to happen that way. Who's writing it? Who's, who's, the, who's the script uh, writer here? Oh, I don't know the answer to that. I know it's speculative or theoretical, 
But to me, I find this intriguing. I mean, if you there's so many things. You look at just about anything, and you think, wow, what a marvelous artist. I would like to meet this artist. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I watched a little documentary about the inner mechanics of a cell, right? We have 100 trillion of these in our body. And um, the guy who gave the presentation said, we only know about 1% of what's really going on in the cell, but I'm going to tell you what we know. And he went on to like, give this incredibly beautiful graphic description with all kinds of animations and everything about how a, an individual cell is as complex as a mar modern huge city. And there's so much incredible stuff going on. And you look at that, and every bit of it is this vast intelligence that has structured such a thing and, and that is orchestrating its, its functioning. And there are 100 trillion of them in, in one body alone. Now, what is the intelligence? What is the wisdom which could create such a thing? Yeah, it's you amazing. Know? Illusory as it may ultimately be, it's, it's marvelous. And it, that's what I think of when I hear the word mystery. Yeah, and I just feel absolutely in, in awe of it, like all of it. Just, I particularly um, like nature and animals, just the way yeah. that this is... Um, yeah program that I particularly enjoy watching animals do their thing and and just like if you watch ants like and doing their their creating their elaborate amazing ants nests and yeah. the way they walk in lines and they they always know where the piece of food is like it might be miles away but you'll just see their incredibly neat little lines going up a wall over the ceiling down the other side it's just yeah. amazing it really is when I was a little kid, I used to sit on the kitchen floor and spill sugar and make little trails of it and, yeah. and watch the ants do their thing, you know. And, and then look at an ant under an electron microscope, and, and you look at that and you think, whoa, you know, what an incredible thing. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, it's, again, it's, you know, to, for me at least, I'm speaking of something which is beyond my the realm of my experience, but I, I see it as a sort of a destination in, in, in a way, and there are many saints who have spoken this way, who have sort of had this yearning for God or, you know, and, have really, you know, self-realization was a done deal, but, but you know, who is the, what is the, you know, the, the artist behind this beautiful artistry? That, that I want to know, and, have, and that eventually has been realized, you know, by these people. Yeah. I don't, I don't really, um, have the urge to know but I feel absolutely in awe of it yeah and, like when well, I think about it when I try and think about yeah my mind just goes absolutely boggled uh -huh. but I didn't I don't spend too much time thinking about it when I say but no I, do I don't mean intellectually no yeah, you know, yeah I'm not I'm not talking about get it all figured out intellectually yeah no. yeah. It's, yeah it's more of a, an experiential merging um, yeah, yeah. with that yeah um, which gets me on to a theme that I often bring up in these interviews, which is that, as I see it, and as many people whom I've interviewed seem to see it, Adyashanti, Gangaji, many others, um, there is no end to this. You know, it, it, sure, there's an end to seeking. By if by seeking we mean the sort of de unfulfilled, desperate, you know, gear grinding, yearning for you know, satisfaction or happiness or inner realization, that ends, that falls away. But then what? You know, th then the, the adventure continues to unfold. There, there's continual unf refinement and exploration and maturation. Yeah, 
Someone was saying this to me the other day. Well, I know, um, I think you know her too, Karen Richards. I was talking about this sure, with yeah. Karen Richards. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so all I talk about, and this is what Roger says as well, like, all I'm talking about is the end of seeking, which mm -hmm. I call suffering. And then after that, there seems to be um, a lot of energetical shifts and um, things that change in the body-mind um, organism. But all I talk about is the end of suffering, that end of that contraction. Yeah. Then, And Karen was kind of suggesting, and other people I've talked to, then there's a deepening of it. I didn't see it as a deepening. I see, I just see it very, um, just, I just look at the suffering bit because I don't have any extraordinary experiences of, that you hear other teachers talk about, about um, reading people's minds or even walking through walls or whatever it is, or light travel, or going into yeah, the future, yeah, yeah. anything like that. And I don't even think about it or any, anything. Or, or or experiencing like um, Vishran, he was telling me that he um, he has this thing where he comes in contact with people, and he, he calls it the download. I don't know, I didn't finish his interview with you, but I don't know if he ever spoke about it with you, where he downloads people, and it feel, he feels like he comes in contact with them, and then he's big, like, um, uh, what are those, those big dishes? It's like a dish that right. receives, yeah. like, all their conditioning way of being, and, um, and where they're stuck, and and nothing nothing's really complicated like that has happened since this has stabilized but all I'm concerned about talking about and the huge difference that happened to me was that seeking energy falling away yeah and it happened in it happened slowly over time I woke with Tony and then it happened apparently slowly over time for a period mm. of time and then there was a big bang at the end a mm. big kind of like <laughs> that kind of <laughs> and that doesn't happen for everyone it's so different in every story sure and that seeking energy fell away and now that there's a big relaxation with life energy still come up thoughts still come up um and you know life carries on being experiences pleasure there's pain but i never experienced that anymore and right. i don't know i can't explain it any better than that and so now there's not really a caring as to what happens whether it goes deeper or not deeper or like I learn, I down. I don't think I want the downloading of people like Vishram says, but like whatever it is, yeah. Like I don't really care too too much. The caring came when I felt like this about future. When I was like this, I wanted future to be better. Mm -hmm. Now it's like whatever happens happens. So yeah. that's my take on it. However, I'm completely open to life showing different things or different dynamics or whatever it shows or does or. Um, like living with Roger, um, like certainly lots of different um, energetical things happened to him over those three years, and um, he used to call it like refinement or tuning uh -huh. in and like noticing different things. Yeah. But the most, the most important thing that's that's happened here is that energy of seeking. And now life can be whatever it is, and I'm excited to take it in any form. That's great, and you're you're a wonderful exponent of that. Um, and who knows what you'll be saying ten, twenty, thirty years from now? It could be a you know a different Completely story. Different. It could yeah. be because even in six months, like sure. I, I think um, somebody played me back something that I'd said right, and I was like, oh, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I repeated something I said six months ago. I was like, yeah, forget that. Let's just talk about what I'm saying now. <laughs> yeah, no, what you're saying now is great. And, it, and you know, everybody has their niche. 
I mean, that's why there's so many teachers out there and so many people speaking, and, and yeah. everybody, and they all have their little clusters of people that, that resonate with them. Yeah, and this know? is this is something that I, if the attraction is to somebody that gives a parent prescription or says it like this, then that's mm -hmm. exactly what's meant to be happening. This yeah. is just a song that Lisa sings, and if you're attracted to it, it's because it's exactly what's meant to be heard now. Mm -hmm. Exactly, like it's not. That because I really don't see other teachers as wrong. Like I know that Tony Parsons is, and I yeah, he, love and respect. He'll be like, but like, I remember once when I was like, but what about? I was so in love with Eckhart Tolle when I was younger, and I was like, what about Eckhart Tolle? And he was like, what a load of rubbish this guy speaks. I think like I can't remember exactly what yeah. he said. And I was like, oh, and I don't have that sense. I don't have that sense that any of the teachers are wrong, or oh, that really? I'm right. I just I just see it working perfectly as mm -hmm. it is. That's exactly what people are meant to. Yeah, and I, I don't even think that Tony's wrong for what he says because it's nope, exactly nope, what the Tony yep. songs sing. That's his song, and, and I totally agree with you. And I would extend that to fundamentalist Christian preachers and you know yeah, yeah. Uh, fundamentalist you know, yeah. Islamic imams yeah. and yeah. you know and atheists and whoever is telling their story. They they're just kind of like one little niche in the yeah, yeah. In, in the machinery, <laughs> one, <laughs> little, one little cog in the whole cosmic play. Yeah, and, and which is not to say that there aren't qualitative differences, but you know, a person sort yeah. of gravitates toward what resonates with them, and when it no longer does, they gravitate towards something else. Yeah, and 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 actually, what I gravitate towards now is laughter. Like a lot of the time, like when I was on a retreat a few years ago, and there was this guy that used to, I won't say his name because if he's listening, or, he used to sit and tell jokes to people in the corner and just laugh his head off. And he would love it if someone would just sit for hours on end with him telling jokes. And he would wet himself. And it was like hilarious to watch him. He, uh -huh. I can't say his name, but he's in the corner telling jokes again. And everyone would be like, uh. And I remember sitting in a conversation and I joined in and they were saying, oh, he's, he's, um, he's obviously covering up a lot of stuff with the laughter he's obviously and everyone was talking about his psychology and about you know how he was repressing and now if somebody's telling jokes in the corner i'm off that's where i'll sit myself i yeah. love to laugh and it's not that i think that this is a component of the end of suffering or the end of seeking i think it's to do with the way that the body mind's programmed and this body mind really enjoys animals laughing um i quite enjoy talking like a like like silly conversations not silly conversations but quite fiddly now like quite mm -hmm. lightly like and it's just what I enjoy but I completely understand this guy in the corner now telling the jokes that he would do it for hours yeah and I could see myself just sitting there doing that with him now well I kind of enjoyed it listening to your talks where you'd be you know going on with some serious Vedantic thing and then all of a sudden the dog would come in the room and you'd be oh bunny <laughs> and then that you know, the, the goo goo talk would go on with the dog for a little while and then you get back to the serious Vedantic talk <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun <laughs> and of course there could be someone you know equally as realized as this guy who loves to tell jokes who would consider that totally frivolous and would rather be in the other corner having serious yeah. discussions yeah, yeah. about metaphysics or something you know it's like and we're that, all we all have yeah. our own wiring yeah and Roger my my teacher is like that he's very much like Ramesh very mm -hmm. heady and very intellectual and he will debate this subject for hours mm -hmm. and hours and hours and he loves intellectual conversation. I should interview Roger. I'd sound like I'd have fun with Roger. Yeah, yeah. You And Roger is great at talking about this. Yeah. We used to joke together. He used to say, you'll never talk about this because you've not got that mind. 
like you've not got the intellectual mind like it was our joke and so I never ever ever presumed I would talk about this or thought about talking about this and now we laugh when we talk that the fact that people come yeah. yeah people come and listen and I'm not actually intellectually that clear if you listen to Roger he has the answer to everything any question you ask him and he could give you a 10 hour answer yeah well, I'm not intellectually that clear either, which is why I just interview people and ask questions rather than getting up and trying to, <laughs> presuming to teach, you know. Yeah. And also, I, th I feel like, you know, having been a teacher of meditation for decades, having, yeah. done, having done that, most, for the most part, without really full experiential grounding in what I was talking about, I have an aversion to, you know, premature immaculation yeah. as it's as it's called <laughs> you know teaching when i'm not uh you know fully uh, yeah it's like some people say just get out and do it you don't have to be ready uh yeah. but I, I i've had that phase of my life and maybe i'll have other phases of my life but I, yeah. i'm just inclined at this point to ask questions and bring out other people's what yeah. they what they have to say yeah. <laughs> um let's talk about a little bit you you mentioned uh, you you alluded to your awakening and then there was this thing and then there was a big kaboom and all. Um, let's let's go through that a little in a little bit greater detail. Yeah. Um, which which part? Well, um, I mean, you Before, know, some people like living with Roger. Well, some people seem to uh, have an awakening which is like a you know fireworks going off. It, you know, very abrupt, very dramatic, night and day difference. You know, they uh, sometimes terrifying because they don't even they hadn't anticipated yeah. and they didn't know what the heck it was. Sometimes incapacitating. Eckhart Tolle had to sit on a park bench for two years feeding the pigeons, yeah. you know, until he could yeah. kind of get integrated. And other people, it's it's much more slow and gradual, and the yeah. integration sort of happens with each stage of it, and you barely even notice that anything's happening. But there it is. And that's kind of what happened to me. Uh huh. But because I wasn't because. I, there wasn't a stabilization in it because it was so, so much of a flip-flop. Mm. I didn't really, really recognize the dynamics. Mm -hmm. So, like, like um, I'd keep thinking it was, I'd keep having the attachment to maybe it was out in the world, maybe, and I wasn't 100% clear as to what was happening. Mm. And there was a lot of flip-flopping. There was a lot of um, going into really deep suffering and mm. then real expansion. Mm -hmm. um, and then when, at the beginning of... 2011 um i split up with roger and um it, we did we, it was actually more of a it was very he woke up in the middle of the night and was like it's time for you to leave now and i was like in the middle of the night it was about it was about maybe about 11 or 12 at night and i was like well, hope, hope he didn't send you out the door right that minute <laughs> 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 and it was no he didn't he, he gave me a, a couple of weeks Oh, but um, he was like, it's time for you to go now. And I remember being like, no, 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 it's not time for me to go now. It's not time uh -huh. for me to go now. And he was like, no, it's time for you to go now. Like things, I've had the feeling that things need to change. change. Hmm. And um, I was like, a lot of fear came up, but a lot of like, the thought kept coming back when the students, and it's so like, it's not really true. This is just what happens in the story. When the student's ready, the teacher kicks them out. Yeah. I could never have, it didn't feel like energetically I could have left Roger. I was mm -hmm. so attached to him, not as a boyfriend, but as a teacher and as knowing, knowing. And um, and it was quite mortifying, um, like him saying he had to go. But at the same time, there was this 
like life does what it does. You like that's what has to happen. So I got on a plane to Bali. And Not a bad place three... to go and lick your yeah. wounds in Bali. Yeah, yeah. That's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it'd be, like I'd spent three years in the forest with him, and in that time, a lot of my friendships have fallen away. My job, my house in London. I had no no income, no money, or um, all I was used to every day was being in the forest with Roger, just me and him with two dogs, house, I created a garden. Mm. So it was quite a big shock from your everyday going to being this to being kicked back out into the world. And Bali, I went to this place called Ubud, which is quite famous now because of the book Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, yeah. Um, and I went to a retreat center mm. and I stayed in the room for like three days. Just I wasn't, it was, it was just an exhaustion. I was just exhausted. Like I was, I just laid there and yeah there was and there was a sense of loneliness like a sense of feeling alone and then it was slipping into feeling absolutely expanded and not alone but I felt so exhausted by that flipping like feeling not alone and expanding and then it being taken away and feeling absolutely contracted it was just yeah the character of Lisa was exhausted and it just couldn't even get out of bed I just ordered room service and there were thunderstorms outside and mm. it was very very dramatic and then one day I got out of bed and went and sat in a cafe and I started looking at the waitress and I was like wow she's beautiful and I'm like I don't mean sexually I just was like wow and then I looked around the room and I was like wow this room is beautiful and I was overwhelmed by the beauty of everything and I didn't notice there was a difference between pre there was no concepts going on of this is different to how you normally see the world so I took myself for a walk into these gardens and I looked around it was like all the plants were shimmering and shining it was so dramatic mm. and I was like wow and I was absolutely like in awe and then I remember seeing this guy and he was smiling too and I was like oh, he can see how amazing this is too and so I had this big smiling session with this random guy and then realized that he was actually mad and that I should move on <laughs> it was just <laughs> it was so dramatic and then I saw a dog dying on the street and this was always the sensitive um sensitive um story for these the animals mm -hmm. and i looked and i was like wow this dog is dying but it's being kissed by god it's mm -hmm. like every part of god is supporting it in this death it's not suffering like, i can't explain it intellectually no, you're doing it you're doing it yeah, yeah yeah and then um and then i was walking around the streets and there was petrol fumes and loud mm -hmm. cars and i was absolutely just knocked over the head by the beauty of everything just like even the poverty, the 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 dirt, the gr everything was just overwhelming, and I'd known this all along. Like I'd been going in and out of this, but it was just that it never. And it's not that's that's dramatic. I'm talking that's not how it's like. I came. There was like a that was just dramatic because it was the first seeing, and that went on for the whole time I was in Bali, and I was there for a month, mm -hmm. and it was like I was walking around like a space cadet and it was absolutely shocking to me that I could talk that talking was happening that like interaction was happening it was all of it was shocking I didn't know how I got from one place to the other but yeah everything ended up just perfect I was still alive I was still paying the rent at the mm -hmm. um, place and then I had a conversation with Roger and I didn't mention anything to Roger like there was no urge to tell anyone about this and um, uh, 
And Roger said, do you want to house sit for me for the next three months? I'm going to go away for three months. So I went back to Australia to house sit for him. And, yeah, and it's just um, kind of carried on. But it's not as dramatic. But you don't, I don't get used to it. But it's just not, like, that was just dramatic, the whole, like, it was just shocking at first. Yeah. But now it's like, it's in a way, I'm absolutely in awe with it all. But I'm not shocked like I was before. Like, like it's not so dramatic because it's, First, the contrast is really yeah. Like um, you, you do get used to it. I mean, that's the way yeah. human beings operate. They get used to things. You know? And, for the, and the, <laughs> there is a sense of like of awe still. The sense of like, like there's still that sense of like wow. Yeah. Or, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the best way. So that that's um how it happened, and and now I just it's and it's the difference between what I was a couple of years ago and now is like the characteristics like even Roger who's so logical and like just he's so different from from me and the way I express it like he's shocked at the difference because in mm. him it wasn't the difference in characteristics and personality wasn't so sh- shocking like it happened in a couple of years and it was very natural yeah the, difference in this being was huge because I used to see there used to be the story of victimhood and feeling um victimized to life and mm-hmm. very low self-esteem and contraction and like um not always not feeling good enough not feeling like mm-hmm. to explain myself and it's huge huge difference character wise to the personality of Lisa that's great just, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's worth uh, repeating that it's in case anybody listens to this and, and 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 feels that they should anticipate that same sort of thing that it, you know it shows up in as many ways as there are people yeah you know? and it like for roger it's just so funny like he was just the absolute opposite it was just that he mm-hmm. fell asleep a lot and then one day the suffering dynamic had stopped and most of it seemed to fall away when he was sleeping like, yeah it's and ramesh i think the story of ramesh is that he didn't even know it had happened he, for mm. weeks or something i don't really know the story very well like for weeks he didn't even and then one day it dawned on him that suffering had stopped he was like oh so it's so different but I think maybe because the weight of suffering here was quite heavy but mm. that's just a story it was quite a big radical change I don't know, but that's just a story that's easy to get caught up in oh yes I've got so much baggage and I've got so much to you uh, I can hear the ego feeding on that already yeah <laughs> it's interesting um, I've seen this phenomenon a lot and I, I also I see it a lot in my town which is a, a place where which is the the home base of the Transcendental Meditation Movement. There's a university here and everything. There's several thousand people here who've been meditating for decades. And there's quite a common phenomenon where people sort of either are booted out or they sort of just extricate themselves from the sort of organization, you know. And then shortly thereafter, they have some awakening. It's, yeah. Your story about leaving Roger yeah. r- reminded yeah. me of that. And it's almost, and you, I think you use the, well, it's like, it's like a, an incubator, you know. There's a certain point yeah. at which the chick, it's no longer really helpful for the chick to remain in the incubator. Yeah. The incubator has done its job. Time for the chick to get out. Yeah. <laughs> it, can't yeah. Grow, it can't continue growing unless it gets out of the incubator. Yeah. Uh, and so when that time comes, you know, through one means or another, the chick is going to, uh, yeah. stretching the metaphor here, get out of the incubator. Yeah. And it, it was in, in the story when I look back, I could never have taken myself out of that situation. Yeah. 
because I was so, and it was like the final, and it often is the final attachment is either the teachings mm-hmm. or the teacher, right? And like and or or often another attachment is the ideas of enlightenment, which is kind of similar in a way. But mm-hmm. for me, it was definitely the teacher that like, held him in such high regard and so much, so much respect. And as soon as, and as long as you're holding someone in that high regard, you're holding yourself down here as a student. Mm-hmm. You're, and it's not you holding; it's just the dynamic of life is believing that yeah. you're a student and they're a teacher, and that they're giving you something, they're creating something, and that. And there's a time for that, you know. There's yeah. a, that's appropriate well, in, yeah. in, in, in its own time, yeah. and then and then at a certain point, it's not. Yeah. You know, yeah. or it, it's or it's irrelevant or superfluous or you know, yeah. time to to change that dynamic yeah and it's really funny because that's um roger roger um i don't call myself um a teacher just because not because of any dramatic thing it's just it's just that's what comes up here not to call myself a teacher Mm -hmm. but roger does and he very much is and it's hilarious when i go back because he's always a teacher and that will always be the dynamic here and i go back and he's telling me and like the last interview I did, he's, he says to me afterwards, "You don't need to say apparently so much. People aren't stupid." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's so funny. <laughs> well, you know, just to dwell on this previous point, just a little bit more. It's like Roger probably didn't even know that. I mean, there was a bigger phenomenon going on than Roger realized in, in telling you it was time to go. Something moved him to say that. And, yeah, and, and you left but that was you know unbeknownst to him that was the perfect thing for him to have said at that point because yeah. you were ready to you were ready to pop you know yep and and he didn't even when he said it to me he was like I don't know why but you've got to go but yeah he, very, he was yeah like, exactly I don't know like, why he had the impulse the intuitive impulse yeah it was, huh. it's, it's amazing and life happens now the identification isn't claiming everything life is happening like this all the time it's always so perfect like what it's doing what it's bringing up what's being seen like it's never out of place yeah and it's only that idea that life is out of place and there is something that needs to be protected and controlled mm-hmm. that gives that impression but it's always happening so perfectly yeah and that's just the perfect e- explanation of that and he's like i don't know why we've got to go mm-hmm it's that it's that same intelligence that's orchestrating the the cell and all hundred trillion of them. That's you know also the puppeteer for this entire yeah. you know mind yeah. body system and yeah. prompt prompting it to flow this way and flow that way for ways that are beyond our comprehension, but that turn yeah. out to be just right. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I didn't tell him for months afterwards. He came back um, maybe in didn't, September. Didn't tell October. him what. That you'd had this awakening? That anything had, ha- had changed or happened. Uh-huh, right. And then, like, he, he'd be walking, and he came, and we lived together for a, period, for a few months, and um, he'd be walking around the house, and I would, and he'd be like, why are you giggling so much? Why are you, <laughs> and it was like, I felt, it felt pointless telling him. It was like, how do you say that to someone? It was, it was, like, and I'd be sat on the sofa, like, something that happened here was a lot of sitting happened afterwards, a lot of sitting, so sometimes, like, eight, nine, ten hours and also this is hilarious what also happened was i began to like mtv mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever watched mtv and really like like dance music and i'd spend a good couple of hours every day dancing sometimes well, in the middle of the night i'd just get up and put on the dance channel 
and just be bopping around the movie. And I loved watching. It wasn't like I wanted the radio. It was watching other people dance and dance with people. That's nice. My, no, my <laughs> wife is really into that. Uh, she loves to watch um, in this, these dance competition shows. Um, I forget what it's called, the big popular thing in the United States. But yeah. I haven't gotten bitten by that bug so much. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do like music. I used to be a drummer back in the old days. Oh, me uh, too. I, Did you? I was a drummer at school. Yeah. Oh, cool. Just, yeah, just, I, um, just a drum kit, not percussion. Ah, uh, I played in rock bands and so on. Um, but well, we're getting off on a tangent here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's kind of neat. It's, and actually, you said something in your talks that I wanted to touch upon, which I thought was also interesting, which is that you found that um, a great deal of flexibility dawned in your personality, whereas um, at one point you were kind of just a certain way, and that's mainly the only way you could be. You you discovered yourself, um, you you know, become being much more sort of malleable, much uh, you know, kind of acting or feeling or behaving in ways that were uh, completely unusual and new for you. Is it, you yeah. can probably say it better than I can, but yeah, yeah, completely. And it's about identifying with a role. Like mm-hmm. um, like I've always loved to laugh, and one thing that I found really difficult to mix or it created tension was laughter and being sexy being a girlfriend or being uh-huh. a fool and being a girlfriend uh-huh. and now anything can arise i can be any character with anyone like obviously not any character with anyone like it's not like i'm going out and having hundreds of boyfriends and fall in love with it like obviously not so much but it's it's not there's not a fixed way of being anymore it's whatever right. situation brings what so if um if I'm sitting with someone and they're like having a go at me or very angry with the ideas and then the next moment they're laughing the head off, the more than likely they'll be laughing the head off too and telling silly jokes again. Mm-hmm. There's no fixed way of being. Like there's no and it really the fixed way of being, the idea of self, is just another idea of something that will create pleasure. Like I'm gonna behave like this and it's some warped idea that will create you more pleasure to behave like this or to to be like this or you'll get and you'll, you'll avoid pain you'll avoid an uncomfortableness and it's so it's so warped to have all these perceptions or well, not warped but just creates so much suffering I need to be like this I need to behave like this in this situation or be like this in this situation and all it's trying to do is get the maximum amount of pleasure mm-hmm. and whenever you're buying into that dynamic of maximum amount of pleasure there is such a tight contraction in the body yeah. And really, life is just a game that can be any role, anything. And this is why I don't like saying I'm a teacher, because I can also be the friend, the wally, the laugher, the, the, the very serious person at the same time. It's mm-hmm. whatever ever comes up in that moment. It's just being flexible and free to what is, what is being expressed through this body-mind mechanism. And also not being... Um, so also, if the teacher role falls away there's not attachment to it either or if the sexy role falls away there's not attachment to it either so when it falls away it's a very natural falling away mm-hmm. like there's not that clinging to it so it's no it's good to hear and, and because I mean a lot of times in certain spiritual circles it's argued that there really is no practical benefit to awakening that it just sort of is what it is but uh, I, you know I, I've seen many cases where it really has um, facilitated a blossoming 
of a person's uh, personality, they, you know, a much greater richness and adaptability and flexibility, which is just what you're describing. You know, it's like you use this gesture, yeah, many. Yeah, yeah. It's like when, when one is like this, then yeah. you kind of, there's a rigidity, you know, you're kind of locked yeah. into a certain constrained way of being. And when that's relaxed, then who knows what comes uh, up. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had Rupert, you, I listened to a talk with you and Rupert the other day, Rupert Spira, and um, and he was saying something along the lines, and I'm sorry, Rupert, if I'm misquoting you. He said something that um, you become fully a human, mm-hmm. fully, like something like this he was saying. And I really understood what he, he meant, like being fully alive to what is. You can express yourself in every single way. There is absolutely no restriction. So this, um, this is um, quite funny, maybe inappropriate for the poor lady it happened to yesterday. My mum was um, sitting at a bus stop. And she was watching this lady cross the street. And she had a big puffy uh, skirt on and she had a really nice um, top on. She looked very 1950s and mm-hmm. beautiful makeup, beautiful hair. And the lady had really high heels on and tripped over. And as she tripped over, the skirt went over her head. Uh-huh. So her pants were shown as well. <laughs> now, to an ego, to a separate self, I can imagine that would be mortifying. She's got the setup that I need to be this pretty 1950s-year-old right. girl. I need to act a certain way. I mustn't make a fool of myself. I've got to, to come across as proper. I mustn't let my boyfriend ever see me in an unelegant position. And all these ideas of self, all this dynamic going on. And so I'm sure, and I might be wrong, to her, she was absolutely mortified at this mm. happening. And this is just awful. Everybody saw her butt with her skirt over and <laughs> flat out and sprawled. And when my mum told me the story, I was laughing. It wasn't that I was laughing at the woman. I was laughing at the ego, that how it creates this. Like mm. yesterday, I met somebody um, uh, in, the, in the part that found me over the internet. And they're like, oh, you live in Perth. Can I meet up with you? And I went and met and spoke to them. And apparently... I tripped over the wall when I was talking to them and like fell over the wall and I don't even remember this. I don't even remember falling over the wall. There was no, I mostly just got up, laughed at it and didn't think twice about it again. Mm -hmm. This lady that fell over, if she's heavily identified with the ego, I'm sure in 20 years she'll still remember falling over with the skirt over her head. And it's about like all these ideas, these second ideas that you think yourself as. I've got to behave like this. I've got to be like this. And it's all because you think that behaving and being like this will create the maximum amount of pleasure for you, mm. max amount of payoff. And it's so untrue. There's no comfortableness in, I mean, there can be some highs of pleasure, but there's no comfortableness in trying to pretend to be a certain way. And that's so uncomfortable. It's so restricting and... Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it's not somebody doing it it's just the dance of the ego and it is in one way it's terrible amount of suffering but it's also hilarious like particularly when you watch kids when they're just be- their ego is just beginning to grow and they're just beginning to learn nice behavior but they've still not got quite got it right so and they're just beginning to learn that you mustn't hit a kid but you can hit a kid when no one's looking you mustn't hit a kid when, when there's teachers or people looking. Right, right, uh, right. But when there's no one looking, you can give them a good thump. Or just when they're beginning, the ego is just beginning to learn how to behave. It's a hilarious dynamic. But it's, I mean, like, it's also immense suffering if you take it personally or believe it to, to be you. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> You've probably heard that Indian expression of um, impressions and how, you know, 
line on stone, line on sand, line on water, line on air. Have you, have you heard that metaphor? No, no. Well, it's like, you know, we have experiences. And if we're kind of like this, then yeah. the nervous system is rigid, our, our psychology yeah. is rigid, something happens to us and it's like a line in stone. That, that yeah. line, it stays there for a long time. Like the lady falling over in the street and her skirt going up yeah. over, you know, she'll remember that 20 years from now. If uh, if there's you know less constriction, then it's more like a line on sand. It makes a line, but then it washes away. Or maybe even less constriction, line on water. Less constriction, line on air. It's like the experience happens, like you falling over the wall. Don't even remember it. It's like yeah. you know that you could be you could be embarrassed to this day over that experience, but it just sort of passed yeah, through. Yeah. On to the next thing. <laughs> and if you, if you believe that you are this teacher that has some sort of ser- serious message, then falling over the, the wall and, and not being serious and seeing as silly would yeah. be like, that would be terrible. Or mm-hmm. if you believe that you're a serious teacher that had a good message and needed to teach people things and needed to have a good outcome, then when people wrote, you, wrote to you really aggressive or angry messages, you'd be, there'd be a, yeah. A hitting of something there would be that mm-hmm. contraction energy, and it's and it's amazing that everything the ego thinks it's getting from striving over over pleasure, that that trick, that dynamic, it's never what it actually wants is the end of all that dynamic, and it's it's striking what it's always going for is all these pleasures, and yes, I'm going to get my happiness, and it's all if all of that went and all of that seen through. This is what it wanted. That this is everything, like everything it needs. Yeah. Um, there's the analogy they use of if a person is, let's say, a, pau- a pauper, then every little, every little gain and loss is a big deal. You know, yeah. you you gain five dollars, it's like whoa. You lose five dollars, oh my god. You know, <laughs> but but if you're a multimillionaire. It's like you could gain and lose thousands, millions, and it would be oh, okay, no big deal, because you have that kind of bedrock of of wealth, yeah. uh, which is just not influenced by the little fluctuations. So yeah. I think it, it pertains to what you're saying. There's a, a bedrock gets established of inner fulfillment or you know contentment uh, in a substantial way, which isn't significantly added to or detracted from by you know, circumstances on the surface of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. And again, that's a description. Yeah. Not, it, we're not telling people to try to behave that way. You know, oh, nothing bothers me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. That would be hell if you tried to do that, yeah. You know, it, that would be very unnatural. But um, it's something which develops, you know. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well... We I saw probably, you had your, your cat on your lap again. I did, and then she just wanted to go out, even though it's only 36 degrees out there, Fahrenheit, but she wanted to go out for a few minutes. <laughs> so I let her out. And the, We haven't had the dogs this evening, but they often come through during these interviews also. I was hoping they would so I could kind of introduce them to what you. What sort of dogs are they? Uh, one is a corgi mix, and the other is a blue healer mix, which is also okay. called an Australian cattle dog. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're both rescue animals uh, that we got through one way or another Um, so they're great okay so I think we should probably wrap it up Um, 
just because I, I don't know, I get that feeling at a certain point in the interview. I th we've covered a lot of ground and it gets a little long for people if we go a full two hours or so. But uh, this has really been enjoyable as I knew it would be having, yeah. having been listening to you all week. And I, again, I, I don't, I apologize if I seemed sort of aggressive or something and and hit, hitting you with all those questions. I I just sort of was percolating on them while I was listening to you all week and I, and thinking about how I wanted to discuss that with you. And yeah. um from my side it came out great. I I just feel like you you know you gave great answers and and we covered yeah. a lot of ground and I hope you feel that way and Yeah, yeah, and I didn't perceive that at all. Okay, good. Okay. And, you should, you um, should hear some some guys that I speak to as soon as they got on the phone that <laughs> Good <laughs> <The> questions. <laughs> so you do uh, you do phone consultations with people or Skype consultations or both or? Um, yeah, yeah. If people um, want to chat, um, mm -hmm. I now um, it's it's getting a bit harder to fit everybody in. So now yeah. I try to say is in the if you've got a, it's better if you have like a real burning energy, not just wanting to call up and chit chat like a real burning energy or yeah. burning question to talk. Otherwise, it's too many people. <laughs> right. Do you charge money or do you accept donations um, or what? It's a bit of both. I have like a standard donation, but I'm so open to mm -hmm. it. It's not about the money. Like, obviously, I need to live. But yeah. if you're living in India, then $50 is huge. If, and even if you're, if you're earning very little money, then $50 is huge. So whatever people, wherever people are at, they just need to discuss it. Because I feel like um, it's important for people to understand that it's taking it's it's not taking up my time but that I only have a certain amount of time yeah if I don't so, have infinities right. of time yeah there's seven billion people in the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so charging is a good way because then even if they don't pay it's knowing that there's like like it's using time or something because I just I found at the beginning I was just talking to everyone it was just too much yeah I mean I sort of did a similar thing. I'm not setting myself up as a teacher or answering questions or anything, but people would want to call up and chat with me, you know, and for yeah. an hour here and an hour there. <laughs> I, wor I work full time. I do yeah. this. I have, you know, wife and dogs and life. And I just finally I said to one guy, I, I'm sorry, you know, I don't mean any offense, but if you can sort of pay me for my time, I'll, I'll actually be able to do this even during work hours. Yeah. But otherwise it's difficult. And he said he'd have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that's understandable. So do you have a website that people can go to if they yeah, want to? Yeah, I do, actually. Somebody, this really beautiful lady called Tanya, mm -hmm. just made me a website. Oh, great. Um, com. It's a really beautiful website. I was so impressed. Great. She's doing it really nicely. So, and it just uh, went up to the, uh, yesterday, I think. She oh, cool. It. Well, I'll link to it from my website. Yeah. And usually the way these go, within a week or two, there's you know well over 1,000 people who've watched the video and listened to the audios and so on. So you should probably be getting some traffic from that. Yeah. Uh, so, so lisacairns.com. Yeah, I'll, and if you I'll, just type in Lisa Cairns, I think it comes up. Yeah, it probably will come up. Comes, yeah. Maybe not within two days it won't because it takes a while for the search engines to find it, which is what I do for a living. I do search engine optimization, but uh, um, people will link to it. Um, so let me just make a couple of concluding remarks. Um, yeah. First of all, thank you, Lisa. And... Uh, uh, this has really been great and as we've been just discussing those listening if they would like to talk to Lisa perhaps by making a little donation or something uh, she's available and go to lisacairns.com to find out how to do that um, 
if you've been enjoying this interview or even haven't and been and you want to see other ones that you might enjoy, <laughs> then go to uh, batgap.com, uh, B-A-T-G-A-P, which is an acronym for Buddha the Gas Pump, and you'll see them all archived. I think this was number 103, 104, something like that. Um, and I do a new one each week. Um, there's an audio podcast you, you can subscribe to if you don't want to just sit in front of your computer for an hour or two looking at a video. You can listen to while you're driving or whatever. Uh, there's a little email newsletter you can sign up for to be notified each time a new interview is posted. There's a discussion group that springs up around each interview where people come in and start chatting about what we talked about. And sometimes the, the person I've interviewed will come in and respond to people's questions and points. So there's all that. Batgap.com. Go there. Um, and hope you enjoy it. So thanks again. Thank Namaste. You. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you to those who've been watching or listening. And we'll see you next week.